This week, we're gonna talk about something else. We're gonna talk about God's direction. Can I get somebody to say direction? direction. Yeah, direction. And the title of my message from Psalm 23, Be Bold Part Two, here's the title, ready? God's direction for disorderly sheep. <laughs> God's direction for disorderly sheep. Have I got any disorderly sheep in this house? Come on, put your hands up if you know you're disorderly. Come on, you've made some decisions, you've made some choices. Okay, if you see somebody with their hand down, just tell them you're making a bad choice right now. You need to be honest with yourself, you need to come clean. And here's what I love about this psalm. Here's what I love about this psalm. Because this psalm is meant to instill courage in God's sheep because what, are you, what you're gonna find out about this psalm is that this psalm has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what God is gonna do for you and through you. I, I love that about this psalm. I mean, read it yourself, you'll see it. There's not a single passage in this psalm that tells you what you need to do. It's all about what your shepherd is gonna do for you. So, when we talk about disorderly sheep, Here's what we're dealing with. And, and by the way, get yourself this book, Philip Keller's Psalm, Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, because I'm gonna be quoting that book today, and I want you to read it. It's a Christian classic, and it's a blessing to my life. It'll be a blessing to your life. Anyway, when it comes to the idea of disorderly sheep, can we be honest today and admit that sometimes we aren't bold in the present because we made some terrible choices in the past? Can, can we be honest about that there are moments that we get to in life where we get scared? We get nervous and fearful to, to take that next step, to try that next adventure, to go out and risk something. Because we already have a story from our past that says, man, you tried and you failed. Or man, you did that and you totally ruined your life or you ruined someone else's life. Or don't you remember the last time you did something like this? You had this moment where you just went through this whole horrible season and everything seemed to just be messed up for you for like years. And I think that, I think about this. I think that sometimes the number one thing that destroys our confidence in the present is our mistakes in the past. Can I get a good amen, somebody? Come on, we're, 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 gonna, we're gonna make some mistakes in life. Some of you dated the wrong person. And so you're not like interested in dating anybody else now. Some of you took the wrong job. And so now you're just thanking God for the government checks and you're just staying at home not working. Some of you got the wrong degree. You put all this money out and you're not even using it. You're like, what's the sense of my life going forward? I don't know what I'm gonna do with all this debt. Now you're in mountains of debt and you got this useless education. Some of you married the wrong person. <laughs> These are the people who are stubborn because you dated them first and then you married them. So some of you had someone else's kids. Amen, somebody. Come on, that's true. I don't care what anybody says. Sometimes they feel like someone else's kids. Now, if you're gonna be a Christian, I want to warn you. I wanna warn you. And all the unbelievers in all the locations, listen up because this is just a little bit of in-house chat, pastor to Christians, okay? So you can listen in. Here's the deal. If you're gonna be a Christian, I gotta warn you, even as a Christian, you're gonna make some terrible choices. You're going to make some dumb mistakes. You're going to make some sinful choices. You're going to make some stupid choices. And sometimes you're just going to make complete asinine choices in your life. You're going to get led astray by 
this world. You're gonna let your flesh call the shots and you're gonna make some terrible situational decisions with relationships. You're gonna possibly burn some bridges with some people. You're probably gonna make some horrible accusation on someone. It's not gonna be true. You're gonna get called out on some lies. I mean, listen to me very carefully, friends. We are sheep. And last time I told you that sheep above all others from Philip Keller's book are the dumbest of all God's animals in the animal kingdom. They need a shepherd. I remember one of the dumbest mistakes I ever made. My wife and I made it together. It was, was the first house that we purchased. First house we purchased, and, and the realtor at the time was showing us all these other houses. We didn't like them because they were used houses. We wanted a new house, and so we found this one new house. It was way too far away in, in a community that we weren't really attached to, but we just got so enamored with the idea of new, 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 new. And uh, it was in our budget, and it was actually cheaper than the houses that were closer to where we were living. But, but we wanted new, and, and we didn't do our due diligence, and we made a stupid mistake. And we bought this house, and the contractor was a complete mess. I mean, he never finished one, of his sing one single house, and we got stuck living with other people for several months. Cheryl, at the time, was pregnant with our second child, Connor. I was working two jobs, on top of which I was finding out all these stories about the contractor. I mean, he came from a family in that city that was notorious for, for uh, ripping people off, for making bad deals, and on top of which, because of who his parents were, the, the, the community kind of blacklisted him and didn't give him permits and robbed him of his permits. And I'll never forget, I mean, we suffered through that season, and it was finally the day to move in, we thought, when we were gonna move into the house, and I'm driving to the house to, with all of our stuff in the back of the truck, and I'm thinking, finally, we're gonna get in there. And the guy was such a mess that the, he never paid any of his bills. We didn't realize this until later. And they repoed, I kid you not, they repossessed the front steps of the house. Like, who does that? Who repos steps? I didn't even know you could do that. There were six steps going up to the front door, and the guy didn't pay the bill. So they came with a crate, took him away, and I'm sitting there in the house. There's no way to get in with all my stuff. Man, it was bad. Back, back to living with other people for four more months. It was tough. And I remember, I remember that that stung for a long time in my spirit. It caused me to think, man... I guess this is who I am. I guess I don't have what it takes. I guess I can't even provide a house for my family, for my wife, for my children. Man, I'll tell you, it really just robbed my confidence. And I'm wondering who's listening to me today. And maybe the best thing that I can tell you is about my stupid mistake because it's gonna help you feel less dumb about what you've done. Can I just, can I just soften the blow of your own stupidity? We're all stupid. We're all dumb. We're all disorderly sheep. And that's what I love about Psalm 23. First line, let's put it up on the screen. The Lord is my, what? Shepherd. And, I, and last week, I'm so glad I'm doing this by video because it helps me clean up some stuff from last week. And I meant to say this at all three locations, at all three services, but I didn't. I only said it in one. So let me just make a point about this. The Lord is my shepherd. And the word shepherd in the Hebrew is not a noun. It's a verb. And it's in the present perfect, which means it's in continual action. So here's what it literally says. The Lord is shepherding me. Can we all say that together on the count of three? One, two, three. The Lord is shepherding me. That means he's active. 
That means he's involved. And I got the best news for you today from the message. It doesn't matter what mistakes you made in your past, what things you, bur- what bur- bridges you burn, what bad choices you made that you're still living with, what catastrophes you were the cause of. Can I just tell you, because the Lord is shepherding you, the mess your life is in does not have to be the final message of your life. The mess your life is in does not have to be the final message of your life. Let's think about Psalm 23 again, the author, David. Last week I talked about his boldness in in spite of the fact that Saul doubted him, his father doubted him, his brothers doubted him, Goliath doubted him. I mean, even his wife at one point doubted him. I mean, everybody doubted this boy, but he was bold because he knew that the Lord was his shepherd. The Lord was shepherding him. Let's talk about his seasons. Because you want to talk about a guy who knew how to make a mess of his life. Man, David is the biblical poster boy for that. I mean, David made a mess with a couple of people, didn't he? Made a mess with a girl named Bathsheba. Scripture says that after he'd become king, got all these victories, got all this notoriety, all this fame, and then God gave him rest. He saw that woman, lusted, committed adultery, and got even to a bigger mess, conspired to get her husband killed, got even to a bigger mess. Then he got a baby with her. The baby died at the judgment of God. Then a bigger mess because he tried to conceal it. God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the same thing through you, but I'm not gonna conceal it. I'm gonna show it to the world. And then his sons rebelled against him. And his sons kind of killed each other and fought each other. I mean, it was a mess. I mean, this shepherd boy that has this incredible story of, of, of rising to the pinnacle of his professional life also has a story of coming down from that pinnacle and experiencing the mess of his own disorder. Let me just tell you, let me just, let me just solve a riddle for you. If you're a Christian, you're gonna make some bad choices. You're gonna, you're gonna do some damage. You're gonna go some places you shouldn't. You're gonna touch some things you shouldn't. And the moment that you have that happen, I just wanna let you know, and this is really the foundational thought of this message, that does not mean for one second that the Lord has stopped shepherding you. All right, all locations, stand with me for the reading of God's word. I want you to memorize it along with me. All right, here it is, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. And thank you that no matter what we're going through, you're still leading us. I pray that the words of my mouth are pleasing in your sight, and I pray that our hearts are open and our ears are open, receptive to hear the comforting, encouraging word of Psalm 23. Help us to see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. All right, here's where we're going. Psalm 23, verse 3. Put it on the screen now. He restores my soul. 
He leads me a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Stop. That's as far as we're going. We'll get to the rest of the psalm next week. Okay, here we do. Here, here's, here's, the top, here's the theme. Whatever my season, the Lord is still leading. Whatever my season. And, and I, I want to reemphasize that David had a lot of seasons. He had his anointing season, and then he had to run from Saul for 13 years. Come on, sometimes you can be anointed and still disappointed with the results. You can have the anointing of God and still see all the people around you being disappointed with the anointing. Listen, the, the life of faith is not all a bed of roses. So David had his anointing season. Then he had his disappointing season running from Saul. And even later on when I talked about his own mistakes with Bathsheba and, and his children. And then he also had his appointed season. He had his appointed season when when, when he was finally installed as king. And, and yet he still made some mistakes and still made some messes. And he looks back on the rest of his life. He looks back on all of his life and he says, look, I, I thank God that the Lord is shepherding me. And by the way, just in case you think, well, he must have wrote Psalm 23 before he became king. No, that's not true. Because right in the text, doesn't it say, you anoint my head with oil. That means that he had already been crowned as king. So this is a later in life recollection of what God has done, how God led him no matter what season he was in. All right, here's how God's gonna lead you. And I got some even when points, even when. That's the key term in each of the points. You'll see them there on your notes. Number one, God is leading even when I've been failing. God is leading even when I've been failing. So Psalm 23, verse three, the first part of the verse, he restores my soul. The word in Hebrew, shub, he, he shubes. <laughs> he shoes my soul. That, that word means to return, to put back, to bring back. I love this. That the Lord is shepherding you and me by bringing us back. You know why? Because of this fact. Sheep wander. Sheep wander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we wander intentionally. We see something, we're just like, bah, bah, bah. And we just go after it. Sometimes we wander unintentionally. Philip Keller talks about how, how one sheep can be the ringleader of several others who will follow him right off a cliff to their own death. Sometimes we're following, sometimes we're wandering repeatedly. Hello. Some, some of us wander intentionally, some of us wander mistakenly, and some of us wander repeatedly. We, we just keep going back to the same stupid junk. Philip Keller talks about the cast sheep in the book. I love this, I love this story because he's talking about a cast sheep is a, a sheep that falls over, rolls over, and then can't get back up because he can't, he can't leverage his legs to get back up on his feet. Here's what, Tim, here's what Philip Keller writes. He says this, a cast sheep is a very pathetic sight. Lying on his back, its feet in the air, it flails away, frantically struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in frightened frustration. If the owner does not arrive on the scene within a reasonably short time, the sheep will die. And then he says this, this is but another reason why it's so essential for a careful sheepman to look over his flock every day. 
counting them to see that they are all able to be up and on their feet. If one or two are missing, often the first thought to flash into his mind is, one of my sheep is cast somewhere. I must go in, search, and set it on its feet again. And then this line, he'll, look at this. this is, he says, it is not only the shepherd who keeps a sharp eye for cast sheep, but also the predators. Mm. Mm, I want you to think about this. Some, some of you need to hear that. Because you think, oh, I'm just going to mess around. I'm just going to get in this mess. And, and you know what? The Lord's got me. Yeah, but the devil's also targeting you. You got to watch out for this. This is why you need a shepherd. And, and, and Philip Keller talks about this in the book. He says, you know, sometimes they'll find just a nice, soft little indent in the ground, and they'll just lay down in it. Man, sometimes we get cast down because we found some nice little spot in life. We just kind of lay down in it. And then before we knew it, 20 years passed by, we're still flailing about. And then he talks about the fact that sometimes it's the fat sheep that get most easily cast. The fat sheep. <laughs> I don't know how far I should go with this. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting to me how often overweight, heaviness hurts us, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. All these reports came out about COVID and how, how dangerous it was to overweight people. And at the same time, we're telling people not to be fat-shamed, not to be fat-phobic. I'm like, what's going on? You know what's going on? The devil is doing a two, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. On the one side, he's saying, be careful of COVID, stay at home and, and do nothing, and get fat. And on the other hand, he's giving us COVID, which strikes fat people. I mean, this is, this is what the devil comes after. This is what our enemy is after. He's trying to get you cast down. The world is booby-trapped for you, man. World has got all these messes waiting for you to happen, and you got to learn to see it. But here's the good news. Here's the good news of our good shepherd. Even when we're cast, even when we're upside down, flailing about, oh, I love the fact that the Lord comes and finds us. Am I talking to anybody who knows this from experience? You went and made the dumb choice. You did the thing you know you shouldn't have done. You chose the evil that you knew was gonna wreck you. And there you were on your back, wondering what you were gonna do. Were you, were you gonna die? It was this the end. But by God's amazing grace, your shepherd came over you. And I love this. Philip Keller says the shepherd gets over, straddles the sheep, picks it up, and puts it back on his feet. And then, he says this, he rubs the legs to get the circulation going again and makes sure that that sheep can walk on his own. Am I talking to anybody that Jesus has had to rub your legs back into walking in the right way? That was really, if you think about it, David's problem with Bathsheba. He got too fat. He had, he had climbed the ladder of success. He finally became king, and he put, he put all of his enemies into subjection. And you get to Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it says that in the springtime when kings normally went out to war, David sent Joab in the army. He just, he just got fat on himself. He just said, you know, I'm good. I did this. I, I'm there. I mean, I'll tell you, that's what the Bible says about pride. Pride comes before a fall. And David knew that more than anybody. And as he's sitting home, priding himself on all of his accomplishments, the Bible says he looks out from his rooftop and he sees a woman bathing. And then he inquires about her and he says, who is that? And his servant says, that's Bathsheba, uh, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. And it's kind of an interesting little notation in the text because the, the, the servant says, that's the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, as if to say, because Eliam and Uriah were in David's army, as if to say, uh, that's a girl that two of your 
fellow soldiers really love. You shouldn't be touching her. But he let his fatness, he let his pride get a hold of him. Man, I'm telling you, that's us. That's not just David's propensity. That's our propensity. I'll tell you something. Man, I'll tell you, the, the times that I fall on my face are when I think I gotta figure it out. Amen, anybody with me on this? You know, there's the old story of the preacher that got up, young preacher sitting next to the old preacher. Young preacher's gonna preach that day. He got up, got up to preach full of himself, walked up onto the stage all proud, chest out, and he preached, and he bombed, man. He totally bombed, and you could see sweat pouring off his face. He didn't feel confident, and we preachers know when each other bombs. And so he's just like, oh my goodness. And he gets down, and he's just shoulders slumped, head down, totally humiliated, sits down next to the old preacher. And the old preacher says, you know what, son? If you had gone up the way you came down, you would have came down the way you went up. Mm. Sometimes we let our own success, sometimes we let our own headiness lead us right into a downcast state. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have what? Have gone astray. We have turned Notice the next line. Everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. What? All. I love the inclusive language of Isaiah 53, 6. <laughs> all we. Everyone. We all have. Everybody. That, look, don't feel bad if you've made a mess. Just look to the shepherd who's not going to let that mess be the final message of your life. And I love this hymn so much. I love this hymn. It's called... Um, uh, come thou fount. And there's this line in that hymn where it says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And is that not you? Is that not me? That's, that's what we are. We're sheep. I wonder what makes you wander. Maybe it's news. Maybe it's entertainment. May, may, maybe it's loneliness, depression. You start getting into relationships you shouldn't. Maybe it's I, idle time. You start getting into websites that you should and you, you start getting into activities you know are bad for you. Maybe it's temptation from friends and families. You just wandered back into those old lifeless relationships. Hey, maybe it's life's demands and you're just like, I need a release. I need to get out of this. I've got too many responsibilities. And so, and so you're just waiting down. You're looking for a recreational sport and the devil's ready to give you this little outlet that's gonna rob you and cast you over. But the good news, ladies and gentlemen, is from point number one, even when I'm failing, God is still leading. Hey, write this down here if you're taking notes. I may wander, but the shepherd's watching over. I may wander, but the shepherd, hallelujah, is watching over. Psalm 56, 13. You have delivered my soul from death. Yes, and then look, look at this next line. And you have delivered my feet from failing, falling, or another translation says stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of the... I love the fact that God does not just save us from hell. Sometimes God saves us from our own <laughs> stumbling feet, want to walk all over in all these other different directions. I love the fact that my shepherd is not just in the business of saving me from eternal punishment. He's in the business of saving me from my own stubbornness. As the last part of that hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, rescued thus from sin and danger, purchased by the Savior's blood, may I walk on earth a stranger as a son and heir of God. That's why the church must also 
always be a place of grace. That's why we gotta, we gotta have grace for the wanderer. We gotta have grace for the one who's mistake prone and the same issue again and again. You think, man, I, I'm so sick of you failing in that direction. Can I tell you that God's not sick of them? When Peter asked Jesus, how many times do we need to, how many times do we need to forgive our brother? And he goes, seven times? Because the Pharisees had this rule three times, three strikes and you're out. Peter doubles their number, adds one for good measure, plus seven is God's number. He says, how seven times? Jesus says 70 times seven, 490. It's another way of saying infinity. You just keep forgiving. You know why? Because people need grace. Because we fail, we stumble, we fall. And here's the deal. Are you ready? The Lord does not want your failures to rob you of your boldness. You can be a, a bold failure, amen? <laughs> you can be a bold failure. I think about that same Peter who must have, his jaw must have dropped when Jesus said 490 times. His jaw must have dropped. But man, did he appreciate it. After he betrayed, the, after he denied the Lord three times. And the Bible says in John chapter 21, he came and found Peter after he'd gone back to fishing and he made him breakfast and they came up on the shore and Jesus says, here, I made you breakfast. And then he restores Peter three times with the question, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Isn't it interesting how, how the Lord made Peter a shepherd on the heels of restoring him from his greatest failure? Here's why you need to have courage even when you fail. Because the Lord will bring you back so that you can help others find their way back to him too. Point number two, God is leading even when I am resisting. God is leading when I'm failing and God is leading when I'm resisting. Because here's what he says, Psalm 23, 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Keller talks about this in the book. Again, make sure you get the book. He says one of the dangers of shepherding sheep is to let certain pastures get over-eaten. Uh, they, get, they get overrun. And so a shepherd has got to always have his eyes not on where the sheep are, but on where they need to be. Because you, you can get into a place where you just get stuck. You get into the stale place. It's overrun. It's done. And so I've had two thoughts about this phrase in verse 3. He leads me in paths. If you got your notes out, paper notes, or your Bible, circle paths, because paths is plural. That's what the S means, right? Paths are plural. Why am I mentioning that? Because so often in life, we get so singularly focused on what God has for us, don't we? Here's one of the things that we used to say back in the 1990s, early 2000s. What's God's plan for my life? I, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know my, you know, I want to know what God has called me to do. Can I, can I just offer you a suggestion that God's not interested in one plan, one job, and one will for you. God's got paths, plural. Somebody say paths. Yeah, 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 paths. Your life will walk many paths. And the Lord is going to lead you through them. He leads me in paths of righteousness. By the way, righteousness is important there because it's, it's, he's going to lead me in his paths of righteousness, his character. That's his character, righteousness. And it's another word for justice. God's going to lead me in a just way, in a way that I can look back and be proud of. He's going to do that on multiple place, in multiple places along multiple paths. 
When you're young, the Lord is leading you in the path of schooling and growing. When you get out of school and you start thinking about the path of finding a marriage, marriage partner or the path of finding your career, that's another path. And when you have kids, there's a path of, of laying down your life and sacrifice for them again and again and again. Sometimes you feel like an Uber because you're just driving them everywhere. And then you get out of that stage, you get older, and the Lord's going to lead you in a path of investing in the generation coming up behind you. My point is this. Life is not one plan. Life is many paths. And the Lord wants to direct us in those paths in righteousness. And it's good news. This is good news because some of you, listen, you get so caught up. I want to know, what's God called me to do? What's the plan? Have I missed it? Did the bus drive by and I totally missed the stop? Have I totally, you know, just blown it and now it's too late? No, no, friend. God's got more than one path. He's got paths for you. And then I think about the fact that when it comes to his righteousness, we're resistant. That's why, that's why the point is even when I'm resistant. Because you know why? In our nature is that sin nature. In our spirit, in our flesh, the sin nature. It rebels, resists God. And it doesn't matter because God's going to still lead us in paths. That's why, that's why sometimes the Lord will lead us to a pasture. We're like, what am I doing here? I want, I want out of this season, God. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe like, Lord, I want out. I know I made the mistake, but can you please just press fast forward on the, on the I don't know, the DVD, or the, the DVR of my life. Can you press fast forward so I can get through it? And the Lord's like, no, no, I'm, I'm making you through this pasture, someone that I want you to be. Because here's what you need to understand about you and about me. We don't know the best path. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. Foundationally, you and I don't know what's best for our lives. We know what God wants us to do. We can know the righteous thing to do and the, and the unrighteous thing to do, but ultimately, in the big scheme of things, the big plans and the big paths of life, only God really knows what's right. Trust him in the path that you're in. I wonder about how many of you are so certain of a certain path in your past. You thought, I'm gonna go after that person. I'm gonna go after that job. And, and the Lord closed the door, closed the door, closed the door. And now if you're honest, you 10 years later, you're like, thank God I missed that door. Thank God the Lord kept me from that opportunity. One time when I was looking for property for our church, there was a old abandoned warehouse right on a, a very central location of North Attleboro, Route 1. And I remember, I, I believed all my heart that was God's plan. And so I went, I did the Jericho march around that building. Every Wednesday, I would go eat lunch, and I would Jericho march that building. And I was so certain, that's the one, that's the one. And somebody came up and bought it out underneath us. And then I found out literally, a little bit later, the building deteriorated much faster than it should have, and they had to demolish the building. And the path that I wanted, the Lord rejected. And can I tell you, I am so thankful that God said no back then because he said yes to what we have now. Amen. God is good. Paths of righteousness. Then the second thought I thought about with this, with this phrase um, in verse three, for his name's sake, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, this is, this is when we're even in the, in the resistant place of what God is doing in our lives, he's still leading for his glory. You know, there's another passage in Psalm 106 that talks about this. Our fathers, 
says, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wonders works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea. Remember that moment? They come out of Egypt. It's literally two days after the, 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 the angel of death sets them free. It's literally six days after the plague of darkness, the plague on the cow. I mean, they saw God's righteous power 10 times in Egypt. They come out and they're on their way to, to liberty. But, the, but Pharaoh comes after them and they've got the sea in front of them and these people who saw God work 10 times supernaturally suddenly freak out. And it says this, they rebelled by the sea. How many of you, how many of you can relate to that? Because sometimes, sometimes that's what we are as sheep. We, it doesn't matter how much we see of God's faithfulness in our past, we're still questioning the present. We're like, oh, he can't save me from that. And it says they rebelled, but look at this, I love this. Yet he saved them, What? for his name's sake, that he might make known his power. I love that because here's the deal, man. You might be standing at a Red Sea moment and you might be complaining and groaning and grumbling and thinking, oh, God's gonna kill us. Where have I come? Why have I gotten to this place? Can I tell you that even when you are resisting, God is still leading and he's not gonna give up on you because your story is not for your glory, it's for his. In fact, I want you to write that down. Despite what I see, I'm being guided for his glory. Write that down. Despite what I see, I'm being guided for his glory. That's the good news of this psalm. Amen. Number three, and finally, God is leading even when darkness is hovering. Yeah, God, God is leading even when. So even when I'm failing, even when I'm resisting, and now the external experiences, even when darkness is hovering. Perhaps the best part of the psalm is right here in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Man, I, that psalm, that part right there, that, that's big. And I want, you to do, I want you to do me a favor. Do me a favor, okay? Okay. Um, if you've got a Bible out, I'm gonna give you permission to do something that's weird. <laughs> You're not gonna be comfortable doing this. But can I tell you that the verse numbers in your Bible are not inspired biblical text. In other words, God did not put those numbers in the text. Uh, theologians from the 13th century put those numbers in the Bible text. Now, they're helpful so that we can all go verse by verse where we wanna go. I love the numbers, I'm not saying get rid of them. But can I ask you to do me a favor, because this is gonna open up this text for you. Can you just cross out number four, the number four in verse four, just cross it out. Just, if you wanna do it with pencil, erase it later, I don't care. But, but here's the point. You're supposed to read from verse three right into verse four. And let's, go, let's back up a little bit. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes God's righteous path is a dark path. Sometimes God's righteous path, and, I, and I, I, I'm wondering who I'm talking to today. Let's do a little visual aid. And there are clouds in your life. There, there's a storm right now. And, and there's the path, and God is leading you through. But if you're honest right now, you got some clouds. You got, you got some darkness. The, the word valley of shadow of death can also be translated a valley of deep darkness. And the clouds are causing the darkness and you're looking back on your failures or you're considering the sickness, whatever you're going through bodily 
or you're thinking about giving up and you're at that point of suicide, I don't know who I'm talking to, or maybe it's a temptation, you just seem, you can't seem to get over, or there's defeat in your life, or you just got betrayed by a close friend. Can I tell you that, that David went through all of this? He went through all of these. He failed with Bathsheba. He was sick in his body. He despaired of life. He was tempted. He had some defeats, and he had his own sons and his own right-hand men and army betray him, but he knew that even through those darknesses was God's righteous path. James Boyce, a very powerful pastor and theologian from the last century, he's dead now, but he said this, quote, it is important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside quiet waters, end quote. Mm. That's powerful. It's important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures and the quiet waters. I don't know about you, but I am a pro green pastures and quiet waters kind of Christian. Anybody with me on that? Uh, God, give me those green pastures and God, give me those still waters. But God's also gonna give you some paths of righteousness through the valley of deep darkness. And, 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 and Philip Keller talks about this in the book, last reference to the book. He says, you know what happens in the valley? You know what valleys are? Valleys are made by the water that has rushed through the mountains. That's what they're made out of. And, and what happens in the valleys is that's where the sheep get the most water because the water trickles down from the mountains into the valleys. So we get refreshed in the valley, we get nourished in the valley, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. That valley has made an imprint. That, I'm sorry, that water has made an imprint in that valley so that the sheep can benefit from the water. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. God's gonna bring you through some dark seasons. And it's going to leave an imprint on you. It's going to leave an imprint on your heart, on your relationships, on your life. And you're thinking, oh, I, didn't, I wish I didn't go through. No, that imprint, that imprint is going to be a channel through which the waters of God are going to flow through you to touch other people's lives. Amen. I'm just telling you. And he talks about this other benefit of walking through the valley because that's when the shepherd would take the sheep from the sheep pen and walk through them. And he says, this is when the shepherd is closest to the sheep because he needs to make sure he watches them through the darkness. He's got to make sure he sees every single one of them. Can I tell you that sometimes when we're going through the darkest parts of our lives is not when God draws away, it's when he draws closest. Here's what it says in Isaiah 43, 2. It says, when, when you pass through the waters. Can I get somebody to say When? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you pass through the waters, it's not a question of if. He says, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, when, not if, when, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Write this down if you're taking notes. When a Christian experiences a dark time, the Lord draws closer. Doesn't draw farther away, draws closer to you. And I think there are people in every location of our church. You could stand up here on this stage and you could tell this church better than I could of how God imprinted you through a dark season and how he's given you the joy of salvation and how you just worship him and serve him and you know that it was the dark season. It was when everyone else walked out the door that God walked in. 
I remember with Jackie, the story of Jackie Robinson who, who broke the color barrier and started playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. First African-American baseball player and he, he was an all-star. He was amazing. He was highly skilled. And uh, whenever he took to the, to the plate, they'd jeer him from the stage and yet he hit a home run and shut them all up. And whenever he, the ball came his way, everybody hushed silence and then he would make a fantastic play. One day he was playing in a game and it was a critical situation and, and the ball came right to him and he fumbled it and it just kind of popped out of his glove and, and he tried to make the play and it didn't make the play. And of course, all the, all the people who were just waiting for this to happen started jeering at Jackie Robinson, started, started questioning this whole situation, started making all kinds of racist insults. And everybody just starts throwing up their hands and, and the crowd leaves because the game's over. The crowd leaves and everybody's walking out and all the players don't want to walk with him. And, and, and the story goes that, that Pee Wee Reese, his, his teammate, saw him walking off the field dejected. And as everybody was jeering at him, Pee Wee Reese came up to him, put his arm around him and said, we're going to get him next time, Jackie, and walked off the field with Jackie Robinson. And in that moment, Pee Wee Reese became a Christ-like figure for Jackie Robinson. And the point of the story is this, when all the world walks out on you, it's Jesus Christ who puts his arm around you. It's Jesus Christ who draws near to you. Sermon in a sentence, last thing I want to share with you is this. The Lord does not give up when I fail, stop guiding when I resist, or detach when life gets dark. He is shepherding me in every season. Every season. Yes, even the ones you made for yourself. Our confidence comes not from believing in ourselves, but from believing ourselves to be his. I want you to stand with me. All locations. Stand with me, bow your head, close your eyes, because I believe with all of my heart there are people in all of our audiences. And you're, this is your moment right here, right now, to say yes to the shepherd. Stop running. Stop resisting. Stop thinking you can do it on your own. You can't. You're going to make a mess of your life. And Christians are too. But the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that we've got someone who can take our mess and turn it into a glorious message for his purposes. I want to give you an opportunity right where you are to say yes to Jesus, right where you are. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? And if that's you, I want you to say these words out loud. I don't, you don't need to say them loudly, but I want you to say them with your mouth. Repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, Today I repent of my sins and I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Forgive me. Make me your child. I choose to serve you. I choose to trust you. I choose to follow you as best as I can from this day forward. In Jesus' name.